women are like the ocean. They're deep and they have massive currents and they shift back and forth all over the place. And what they're seeking in a man is the man to be that rock on the shore that they can crash into and knowing that that rock's not gonna go anywhere. Hello everybody, this is the Venus and Mars podcast and I'm your host, Anya Shack. I'm a culture and trend strategist, researcher of all things hunter-gatherer, and I'm devoted to healing the divide between men and women. So if you like what you hear and you're on Team Unite Venus and Mars, then join me in growing the movement by hitting subscribe. Now let's get straight into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Venus and Mars podcast. You've got your host, Anya Shack, And today I'm coming back with uh, some fun conversations between a man and a woman. So in all the feedback and all the insights that I've gathered from uh, the, I guess, 36-ish episodes I've been doing this so far, people love to hear about you know, the roadblocks, the inconsistencies, the miscommunication, the tension points between men and women and why they happen and what we can do about it. Um, And so intimate relationship is something that is so dear to my heart. It's something that I believe we all crave, man or woman, all of us um, desperately crave this deep down. And we put up a whole bunch of roadblocks. Yeah roadblocks to, um, you know, kind of keep ourselves protected. And so I'm really excited to welcome uh, one of my favorite men's coaches here with me, uh, Robert Wunderlich. We're going to have a great chat. We're going to talk about um, relationship, really, from boyhood to manhood. Um, And so I'm just, I love this man. He's a father. He's a husband. He is a men's coach. And what I really love about his mission is that his kind of like thesis is that he's building a method to combat loneliness and isolation by fostering a deep connection to oneself and to others. So Robert, welcome. Well, thank you for again for having me on I appreciate it. Love that. Um, so let's just dive right in. Um, no need to beat around the bush. I know you're really interested in loneliness. I know you're really interested in deep connection. What do you think is the biggest hurdle for men when it comes to deep connection with a woman? Um, Well, I think part of it would be knowing oneself. Mm. I think big, massive roadblock is what lies within us. The interwoven webs of significance of the protective mechanisms that we took on as children, um, the childhood wounding that could possibly be there, the trauma that could possibly be there, all of those things are informing our relationships at all times. So whether that be friendships with other men, whether that be friendships with women, whether that be intimate relationships with women and or men, any intimate relationship at all, really, or any relationship at all. Those are all things that can be tied to how we came up. So Mm -hmm. I firmly believe that. I firmly believe that um, our actions and the way that we create distance are all informed by all of those things. Mm, Gotcha. So I love that you specifically spoke to creating distance. You know, I think that a lot of the people that listen to the show um, find themselves very intimately aware of this whole idea of the unavailable person, right? The person that like pushes you away. um, And I think that happens on both the man and the woman's side. And I think, you know, one of my favorite lessons and learnings of my life has been like, if someone unavailable is you're being attracted to someone that's unavailable, you better believe you yourself are also unavailable. 1000%. (laughs) So that's just like a great thing to know. What do you think is like this, um, I guess, this idea of when a man is unavailable, when he becomes unavailable, like take me a little bit through like your maybe journey around um, like being interested in in deep love or being not ready for it and like how did that go for you like maybe from boyhood onwards i mean i think everybody for most men their first love is their mother right, right. their first um so 
I came up in a in a household in a family system where a lot of enmeshment incurred, uh, a lot of codependency. Um, so those are things that I've had to work through. So when I sought an intimate partner growing up, that's what led, right? So mm. codependency, enmeshment, feeling like um, never being enough. So, you know, through that process, I definitely am a recovering nice guy. So mm. having a lot of covert contracts and expectations that were built out of my own head and never communicating those things, never communicating my needs. Mm. Uh, and then allowing that anger and that resentment to build through time. Um, and that's where I feel for myself and in my own experience, that's where some of the greatest distance occurred was, you know, a lack of communication, a lack of, you know, the a lack of an ability to have hard conversations. Totally. That makes a lot so of sense. Truly learning how to build that muscle of not only being able to do it in a nonviolent way to where, you know, you're being a jerk and I don't like the way that you're treating me. Mm -hmm. And this is truly yeah. harming me to, Hey, um, you know, when I feel that when this happens, um, when this happens, I feel like sad or I feel upset or I feel like, you know, you don't really care about me, but this, this is my feelings. This is how I feel. It's not a projection onto you. Yeah. And are, is this something that you're willing to, you know, come together with and actually work through? So utilizing a little bit more nonviolent communication um, and that stuff's hard having boundaries. <laughs> Another huge piece. Yeah. Being able to express those boundaries, being able to hold that space. Um, and most importantly, it's it's for self first. I mean, most boundaries, like you said, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you said that when you find someone else that's unavailable and you're seeking that person, you're almost always unavailable yourself also. Well, I would say the kind of same thing lies when we think about, um, oh man, I just lost my train of thought. But so in thinking about boundaries, we go to this space where we abandon ourselves first and we don't hold that boundary for ourselves first. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So then we seek someone who will just continually run over that boundary and we wonder why, but in reality it's not, it's us not upholding that boundary to begin mm -hmm. with. And we kind of let the curtain down and then we wonder why that boundary continues to get crossed, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. No, I love that you're, you're speaking on um, really important things, you know, like kind of recovering nice guy, covert contracts, um, enmeshment. I think these are all like very important terminologies to understand. And I'd love to kind of like unpack them a little bit more, but can we kind of go to the beginning when you talked about there was a lot of enmeshment with my mother? Can you explain that just like for people that might be new to like understanding like the mother wound or the father wound? Like what, what are some of the things that you like realized occurred as you were a boy that then led on to like some of those lacks of boundaries and all of that that you were talking about? Um, part of it for myself and through my own journey was the expectation to be the man of the house. Ah, okay. Um, you know, I was in third grade when my parents divorced and then I had my sister and my mother. So mm. very much, I was elevated to almost man status immediately in some ways, mm. obviously seen as the boy at the same time. So it's this weird dichotomy when you're in that space to where you're still mm. coddled and held and, you know, like in that sense. So don't want any harm to happen to you, which is, I feel a part of enmeshment. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, also elevating, like my mom never let me go into a mall or into a store without opening the door for her, you know, everything along those mm. lines to where it's like, we have this weird space to where I'm no longer a child in some ways. And then I'm always a child and another, does that help yeah. make sense? Yeah. And then another piece of enmeshment for me is if you're, if I'm not okay, you're not okay. And vice versa. Oh, if you're not yeah. okay, I'm not okay. Mm. That's huge. So that, so how those things come, you know, 
ping off of each other. So my emotional investment is like, if you're not okay on you, then man, I'm totally disturbed inside myself. I have no, there's no separation between the two of us. Mm, that's right. There's no separation. All of like mom's wounds, issues, feelings are all directly like coming to life through you. Yep. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. So then lead me to what a covert contract is. I guess I'll just add for that last yeah. piece. Yeah. Um, is that, you know, and then it's the reinforcement of don't ever be like your father. Right. Um, you're acting like your father. Things along those lines is another way that some of that stuff kind of transpired for me um, yeah. personally. And right. it's, um, you know, and, and all of this being said with all of the grace and compassion yeah. in the world, right? That I love my mother, that I'm yeah. grateful for everything that she did for me, that I'm absolutely amazed with what she did with myself and my sister and everything that she fought for, for her and I, you know, to have the, some of the life that we have now. Mm -hmm. So I just want to make sure that that's important <laughs> to say, yeah. because I think that we can, we can carry these, these wounds from our childhood. And then we can, I don't want to say objectify, but like we can, we can villainize our parents oh, yeah. in some ways. Right. Oh, yeah. And then we continue to get wounded by that process over and over right. and over again, right. because we see it in that light. Whereas I think it's really important that there's a ton of grace. There's a ton of compassion. There's a ton of understanding that my mom absolutely 100% did the best that she could with what she had. And totally. I had a great, I had a great childhood in many ways. I'm not trying to sound like, you know, a bunch of horrible <laughs> things happened to me. And these are things that I understand as an adult man now that they're mine to own and they're mine to work through. So when many times I speak about these things, it's not necessarily that I think that about my mom in that negative light. It's that I understand that these are things that I myself am working through because they're mine to own and there's no one else that's going to do it for me. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, that's always kind of my come from as well. Um, sometimes we just have to like put put on hold our like my parents did the best that they could so that we can understand and then we understand 100%. and then we we go back to our parents did the best we could once we get it and then we kind of move forward. 100%. I just want to make sure and yeah. clarify that like, yeah. Cause it can sound, cause I listen to other <laughs> podcasts that I can listen to other things. And it's just, sometimes it can sound like people are just dogging on their parents. Totally. It's not that. Yeah. Those things happen. And yes, those wounds are valid. And yes, those things led, you know, to different relationships through life, all of that stuff. And also there's that piece where I also see my mom in a wonderful light. And I also see yeah. her in a space where, you know, I'm very grateful for her. I love that. That's beautiful. Um, we love our parents. I fully support that. We completely love our parents and are super grateful for what they've done for us. Um, but we're, I'm so grateful for the opportunity and the tools to unpack like the things that didn't work and then, and then fix them. And so I, I think that's awesome. I love how you just said all that. So, but yes, covert contracts, um, Please. covert contracts are, so some of the best examples that I've ever heard, and I'm going to use a little bit of language here, so I hope cool. that's okay. But, um, you know, it's like that guy that you know, that always comes over and hangs out with you as a woman, you know, but always is kind of in that friend zone, never really expresses that he has interest in you. Yeah. Will come over and be like, hey, I'll help you move. The whole time in his mind, he's thinking about, oh, if I help her move, then she'll want to fuck me. Or if I help her move, then yeah. she'll want to suck my dick. Or if I'm, you know, and I'm yeah. using this, kind of vulgar in a way yeah. example, but that's what happens. That's something that, you know, I have experienced in my younger life. Yeah. So, and in relationship myself, you know, that we build these covert contracts. It's not a contract that's said between you and I like, Hey, I would like to not you and I, but like <laughs> I'm saying between you and anyone else in the sense of like, when I started to date my wife, Hey, I want to date you. Yeah. Totally. And I, I have interest in you and you are somebody that I see a lot of value in. And at some point I would like to get, have a physical relationship with you. If that's something that you're interested in, 
and I want to do it consciously. I mean, man, all the tools that I have now yeah. are so much different than what I had when, you know, yeah. I was in the dating realm and when I first met my wife. So, so then two questions, why would someone want to create a covert contract? Like, why would a man want to do that? Like what's, what's he thinking in his, in his brain? And then number two, what's a good example of like a woman creating a covert contract? So curious. Um, <laughs> you're going to put me on the spot. Aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know if it's a want, I think in some way, in some instances, men, you know, men that are kind of in the ilk of wanting to go out and party, wanting to go out and, you know, like the, the count, just looking to add to the count, sure. looking to create, you know, like experiences that they just want to go out and have sex with women and don't really want to have relationship or things along those lines. I think that they can build covert contracts that are through want. And then I think that in other cases, it's not necessarily through want, that it's just the mechanism that they haven't been shown how to properly communicate to where, and they, the biggest thing that they fear is shame. Yeah. And the biggest thing that they fear is rejection. Right. So when you, you know, every time you get rejected, you feel shame because, oh, I'm not obviously up. So then those things build. And over time, you're just like, well, what's the point? And then you don't express yourself because you've been, you know, in some cases battered mm. through the mm. dating sphere, you know, you put yourself out there and then you get rejected and then you put yourself out there and you get rejected and, you know, like you express that you like somebody and then that person just completely shuts you down or shames mm. you and makes you feel really bad, like yeah. really bad for expressing that and becoming vulnerable. I think those are all mechanisms that kind of lead to men having that opportunity to create covert contracts, if that makes sense. Totally. That's why, like, as you were speaking, I was like, you know what, that's why people like Jordan Peterson are so great for men, just because like the whole message is like, learn from those rejections and like, make yourself better, like learn from all those experiences and just go back and like, make yourself better. Um, and I promise you won't get rejected as much, the better you become, the better, more com the more confident you become all these things. But it sounds like the men that continue to do this, like they're not in a growth mindset. Well, no. And I would say that um, I think men have a, they don't feel like they can be themselves in many cases either because mm. societally we are putting men in a very, very small container that anything outside of this very small box is toxic or every, anything mm. out of this very small box is seen as you're objectifying a woman or you're sexualizing somebody or, you, you, mm. you know, like it, it's this very tiny little box. So Got it. it's not just like men are being attacked for just being a man. Yeah, totally. It's a lot of fear-based stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. To where they're being shamed for just the way they were biologically born. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's so true. I've I've heard crazy things like it's toxic masculinity, guys lifting at the gym. And I'm just like, what is wrong with you people? Like- Oh man, I wish uh, I had the article in front of me, but there was an article in Psych- <laughs> um about toxic masculinity and it said something along the lines of stoicism is toxic masculinity oh my god competitiveness is toxic masculinity because it's like so aggressive and it's it's no that's not that's not toxic masculinity in yeah. fact i don't believe that there is toxic masculinity i think there's just yeah. toxic people in general yeah. that behave in toxic ways um yeah you know, through their own unhealed wounding and trauma and unawareness of the things that are happening within themselves. So then would you say that like kind of going back to um, like growing up with dad not being around, it's like um, all those all those like masculine values, like competitiveness, like dis discipline, like standing up for yourself, all that stuff, like wasn't as like important maybe in the upbringing so it seems like maybe some of the the men that like do kind of feel afraid of their own masculinity like just try to downplay it well i think that it was also it's also suppressed too you right know, they're told you know like for the example that i was told like don't be like your dad right you know like oh don't be like those men are and bad. what did that mean like don't be like your dad like like what like what was your dad 
<laughs> um, <laughs> my dad, uh, he, he was a yeller. He was a aggressive person. He, uh, was an alcoholic and a drug addict. So, um, you know, he Ugh. was recovering, yeah. um, you know, so he got sober and then actually divorced my mom and then, um, remarried a couple months later. Mm. So, um, unfaithful. Yeah. Um, a lot of various things that, you know, created a lot of wounding for my mom, a lot yeah. of wounding for myself, a lot of wounding for my sister. So, yeah. um, you know, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. Um, so not being that, so that meant I couldn't have, have anger. I needed to suppress it. Mm. Mm. But I think you and I both would agree that anger is actually a healthy, you know, it's a healthy experience. It's something that yeah. can be healthy and it can be expressed in a vibrant and, you know, open way to where we still have access to our heart when we're doing it. Like, Hey, I'm really upset right now. I'm, I'm actually pissed off and totally. it's totally okay that I'm pissed off. Like I totally disagree with the choices that you may have made in this moment. Yeah. And I'm angry. Yeah. Where anger, where we create this misnomer with anger is the difference between anger and aggression. Yeah. Aggression doesn't have access to heart. Aggression doesn't have access to our space here to where we can't do it lovingly. In fact, the whole purpose of aggression is to suppress yeah. is to demean, is to belittle, is to create something small to smush, you know, the other person in some way yeah. to, to wound the other person. So um, just understanding those, learning that difference and later in my life has created a, you know, it's a much different approach that I have to life now to like understanding like, mm. oh man, I'm being aggressive, you know, and I've, I actually just did this this last weekend. You know, I got upset with my kids because, you know, they're kids. Yeah. And they do things like put toothpaste in water and then, you know, put it in, you know, brother's hair and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was upset and then, you know, like my son really didn't appreciate it too much and got upset back at me. And I explained to him that I was angry. And then I also admitted that at a certain point I shifted over to aggression and that's where I needed to repair with him. So sure. I sat with him and just looked him in the eye and apologized for being aggressive with him, which I could tell wounded him. And, you know, I did my best to repair to him and explain that at first daddy was, I was angry. And then I allowed myself to, to move into a space of aggression and that, you know, I could understand why he felt the way he did. Mm. Look at just the way that people are parenting these days. It's so incredible. Um, the ones with the tools, it's just a whole Hard. different ball game than what we experienced yeah i mean yeah. we have to we have to also i mean we can look back at history with 2020 vision way too often and totally just be like oh well why couldn't have they just done better and right. all these things but like right. my parents at least were the result of the generation that had to go and fight in world war ii like yeah there was no real space for emotion yeah i mean in many cases at that time and if you're 18 19 20 years old and you're going to fight at the Euro you know in the european front or over in the pacific front and you could you didn't have space for emotion mm -mm. so you learned that at a young age and that's how you thought life was supposed to be for the remainder of your life is just yeah very stoic very no don't show any emotion don't cry mm -hmm. don't be vulnerable because if i'm vulnerable man the next corner I could go around someone may try to kill me yeah totally no you're um you're spot on and I wanted to go really quickly before I forget back to something you said when you were talking about like all the things that your dad was and it just had me think about how that is just like an exhibit a of what we do in our culture where we take we throw the baby out with the bathwater. So it's like masculinity is lumped in with addict, alcoholic, violent, you know, cheater and all this stuff. And it's like, it's so heartbreaking because we've just, we're missing the nuance. We're missing the layers. We're missing all of the like magic that is 
masculinity. And um, I know you know what that is. I know I know what that is. And so I just like, I guess I'm wondering, like, what did you, what did you learn later on in your life about like maybe some of the things you were missing as a boy in regards to masculinity? I think I'm still learning them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, how to build something, both physical form and in internally. How to build yourself. How to, mm. uh, without having any rites of passage, you know, we and lack of elders. I would say that those relationships, lack of mentors, we miss a lot of those things of what it means to be a man. Um, and then we're also shown some poor examples of what it means to be a man. Um, so we can latch on to some of those things and and take them a little too far. But man, what I'm missing, kind of to take something from you know my work with Traver Bohm is just that understanding of of the primal and the divine. You know, I had to go out and find my primal on my own. I didn't really have a lot of that primal shown to me in many ways. So that's a big, big reason why I started training jujitsu and why I continue to do jujitsu. What is the is primal? Hmm. So to me, the primal lies in our gut okay. it, and below, right? In our balls. Like that's what can, that's that power that leads us. That's that, that unshakable knowing that we're going to survive this. Hmm. that ability to smash something if we absolutely have to with all the desire not to mm. but if it needs to go there that we can go there yeah. if that makes sense yeah that we're not that's where the structure lies within the masculine in my opinion I love that I love that because literally I remember going just to get food with a friend last weekend. And I just, I experienced this, what you're talking about. And from the female side, like maybe this is, so I was, we sat down and next to us was this table of just like, kind of like, you know, just like dead people, right. In the sense where they were just like no aliveness, no energy in their phones and just overweight. And just like, I felt like, man, if some shit goes down right now, like I'm the warrior, like I'm the one like that has to handle it. Like there's no one else. And then literally 10 minutes later, this like family walks in and the dad is like ripped. He's alive. He's awake. It's not even about his physical. It's mostly that he was just, you could tell like his primal was so activated. So he sat down and me and my girlfriend, we were just like, ah. shoulders dropped. <laughs> It just felt so nice to have this man be sitting in the, in the room, not even, not even close, but just in the room. It was amazing. Grounded. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, the primal is an example of how grounded men can be. Yeah. Um, yeah. With my family, like my wife always tries to sit facing the door and I'm always like, <laughs> no, you need to move. You need to sit over here so I can see the door. You know, it's just all these different yeah. things mindset wise and having done self-defense and taught self-defense for so long that, you know, these are things that I think about every time I walk into a store, I think about where the exits are. I look at where the exits are. Like, it's just a habitual thing. So I think those are little tiny, small examples of what, you know, the primal yeah. is, is just yeah. that preparedness to handle something if necessary, which also is beautiful in relationship. Because the primal can say, that's where we get that gumption to actually say what our needs are. Yep. Hey, I'm really scared to express my needs because it's going to make me really vulnerable. And as much as that's going to make me vulnerable, it's going to come from this space. It's going to come from my belly. I'm going to actually express this because it needs to be expressed instead of uh... holding it in this tiny little shell. Does that make sense? And oh, then yeah. through that, it's expressed through our heart now, too, because that's where the vulnerability is. It's now, hey, the, the the mechanism that actually creates the conversation comes from our guts. Mm. But it passes through, right, the heart space, because in order for us to actually have that conversation, we got to get really vulnerable. That's beautiful. Robert, that's beautiful. Um, and you just helped me think of something. You know, I think a lot of guys 
are like, okay, I'm going to try to be vulnerable. And then they do. And then the person that they're with is like, uh, like I didn't want all this. And I know that happens all the time. And I think what you're speaking to might be the unlock. It's like, it sounds to me like the times when the women are not receptive to it is when maybe there's no primal connection and it's just spilling of emotions without coming from like a source of groundedness. I think, I think that to be true. I think that when, I mean, just from your experience, Anya, like when you feel the man be wish-washy on the other side, when they're expressing themselves, like there's no, there's no floor, there's no grounding, there's no, I mean, what do you, what do you, it just feels like it's a waterbed, you know, of <laughs> stuff underneath him. Yeah. I mean, how does that make you feel? And then, well, you know, I was really sad when you told me this and, you know, I didn't really appreciate when, I mean, what does that feel like to you? Even just me expressing it like that. It, it feels like I have to like grab a spear because no one else is going to do it. <laughs> like I need to like handle life now and it's just so frustrating and upsetting (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that answer but I mean I think it's true I think that when it comes from a space of hey this is this is truly me this is me putting myself out there but this is a place I mean I think you can see in my demeanor now you can feel that you can hear the tonality in my voice how much it's changed. Yeah. There's not, for lack of a better term, any softness. And I'm not calling anybody soft because I think that's something that we're told as men that produces some of this. Right. Is, hey, stop being soft. Right. Right. And then now we've created more of a shell and now we've created more, you know, that person, that man to shrink even more. So it's, I don't want to make sure that that's clear that I'm not speaking to any men that they're soft and it just so having that scale between being supple right which would be relaxed and movable and mm-hmm. you know if we're if that scales too far over there over to that supple side or yeah. as my mentor Dewey says softness if we're on too far on that side and sometimes we need it sometimes we need to be on that far so like for instance if you're in relationship and being able to hold a container for say your partner and she really needs to just just dump and your ability to just stay soft in that moment and just listen not try to fix not try to you know create soft problem solve or anything along those lines but to just hear and and witness the emotion of them and allow them to pour into that cup knowing that that underneath that cup is something that's stable that it's going to be held and it's going to be a what's the word I'm looking for that it's going to be a container that truly, you know, um, yeah, I'll just say yeah. held. I love that. So no, that's great. Does that, it, does that make it, sense? But then on the other side, then if we have too much structure, then it's just, it's, it's, I think we get into the realm beyond structure and get into rigidity. And these are terms that I use in jujitsu to explain a lot of things through jujitsu. So if we're a little too supple, then we're just like little noodles and people can just do whatever they want to us. If we have too much structure, if we go beyond structure and we get into rigidity to where now everything is tense, our whole body is tense. Now there's no communication happening in our own body. Mm-hmm. If I'm just, if I'm rigid. So it's an example would be like me wanting to hold your wrist so tight that I'm activating quarter of my body mm. just to make sure that I can hold that, hold your wrist. But in fact, mm-hmm. because I'm so rigid, it actually allows you to break that grip right more easily than it would be if i had structure or if i had some suppleness even to just now i can be responsive so rigidity creates reactivity soft too much softness or too much um suppleness creates just you it's like the you know the um the dancing people that you see that have the fans that are the uh marketing on the corner that you know a brand new store opens and they're little floppy it's like yeah you don't want that (laughs) I don't think anybody yeah, wants that. For sure. No, I love that. I so okay. So we talked about the primal, really clear about that. Um, what's the difference between suppleness and the divine? So suppleness is, I would say, on the side of the divine. Okay. Staying so, remaining, right? Having access 
to to me the divine is heart okay for men you know we live primarily here in our head yeah especially during the week we probably live below the waist over the weekend if you're single and you know or in relationship and maybe you're not expressing your needs so you're not living there at all and we really miss this space in the middle yeah for sure i think the divine is is being able to be vulnerable being open and understanding of like i said uh, the divine is that space where we get to hold that container that we get to see someone for who they are that we get to respect and truly love who they are and then also just understanding the divine is not just in relationship but it's it's earth it's mother it's you know it's what we don't know it's the all those questions all the it's it's hard to explain right it's yeah. it's just amorphous you know kind of flowy unknown system of, yeah exactly yeah Perfect. thank you <laughs> where it's it's confusing and i say that as a man because you know the divine like for men a lot of times we have that we're scared a lot of times by the divine you know we i would say that we fear that it just feels like this massive swell in the ocean you know yeah um are you um what is her name josephina um sophie josephina yeah, Sophie Josephina. Yeah. The way that she described this basically was that women are like the ocean. Mm-hmm. They're deep and they have massive currents and they shift back and forth all over the place. And what they're seeking in a man is the man to be that rock on the shore that they can crash into and knowing that that rock's not going to go anywhere. Yep. It's a perfect way to say that. Um, I love that. So um, I guess my question is, you know, you talk about the divine and like the fear that might be surrounding that. What do you think, like, I guess maybe young boys or maybe like young men are afraid of when it comes to a woman? Yeah. And I guess I would, I guess I'll just go back to that piece that when you're ungrounded, yeah, when you're just as much the storm as, you know, everything around you, then it, it is very scary and it is fearful. But when you learn how to be grounded, when you learn how to get into your body, when you learn how to access your own, your belly, that fire in your belly uh-huh. and be able to ground yourself and be more of the fence post, then things around you don't necessarily scare you as much, right? That people, that a wave of something can crash over you. And because you're still, because you're your rock, that rock on that shore, then you're able to handle that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So for a man that's not grounded, then what what is that? What is it that's so scary about a woman? Well, if they're not grounded, then they're they're just in much as much chaos as as the woman is, right? And I don't mean chaos mm-hmm. in a negative connotation. It's uh-huh. just that like I've tried to describe it earlier. Totally. It's it's just it's in constant motion, right? So it's not a it's not a dig on feminine femininity at all. It's it's in a it's for lack of better term to really kind of illustrate how the feminine can just, it's so pliable. It's so movable. It shifts in so many wonderful Mm. ways, Mm. you know? Got it. So what you're essentially saying is that um, you can't really see the beauty of the shift if you're not grounded yourself. That's what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. So another way to think about it is like men are the mountain and women are the storm. And then if you're the mountain, you don't really care how big the storm gets because <laughs> you're a fucking mountain. Yeah. 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 That's cool. <laughs> right. But if yeah. you're the storm, if you're another storm with another storm, then you just, you, you feel no tie to the ground. You feel just like you've lost your, your ability to, um, or you've lost your, uh, your anchor per se. So I'd argue that there are quite a bit of not mountains in the world that are men. <laughs> And um, a lot of relationship problems arise uh, out of those situations, right? Guilty. Rob is raising his hand. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So what are those type, like, what are, I guess, give me like one or two of, of those, of problems that you really encountered before you were able to find the primal and to find the stability. Like, what were two things that really just like, you just like kept on dealing with when it came to the the opposite sex 
Resentment. Resentment. Uh, for her, like resentment towards her? Yes. Okay. And towards me and towards myself. Okay. So, I mean, I don't think in some ways, I don't think you can have resentment. I think resentment towards others, there's a lot large component that you carry within yourself. If that makes sense, that as that builds, you're disappointed because you didn't say anything, but then that just continues to, it's just all a projection. Yeah. So in many respects, you're, you're really, you're really upset with yourself for not taking the steps that you know are necessary to express yourself or to have a hard conversation or do something along those lines. So, but instead of actually owning it here, you just project it onto the other. Love that. So here's like a great example. I have heard this so many times and it just makes me cringe. It makes me cringe. So like, for example, um, a group of guys are like hanging out or there's even a group of different, different people, maybe even women are a part of the group too. And there's this like invitation to go like spend the weekend or play golf or whatever. And the dude right away is like, uh, you know, I want to be there, but my wife, like, you know, I can't. And like, she just like my wife, like my wife will, she like, won't let me, my wife, my wife. And it's like, all this resentment is coming out. And it's like, it makes me cringe because like life doesn't have to be that way, but most people think that's how life is. Can you explain what the hell is happening in this scenario? One of the worst things that have ever, like one of the worst terms that's ever been coined in the history of <laughs> humankind, happy wife, happy life. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It goes right along with ball and chain. Same thing. Yep. I mean, it is, it's a, it's a disaster zone. It is just setting you up for disaster when you have that kind of mentality, because then you completely self-sacrifice. You give up everything of yourself for the relationship. Happy spouse, happy house. Meaning that now both individuals are in line with themselves. Yeah, They both feed into their relational cup. So now there's going to be that cycle to where individual, individual, now we are on the same page. We are, hey, we're both responsible here. You know, maybe I, you know, I saw a really great thing by Brene Brown the other day to where she was talking about how her and her husband have conversations where they do these little check-ins and, yeah, you know, it's someday, someday I would love to have this with my own, with my own wife. Like, Hey, I'm running it like 30%. Yeah. I heard that one. You know, like, can you please? And then, you know, Hey, I got a lot of energy. Yes. I can take that 70% on. We're good. Yeah. And then sometimes he would come home and she'd be like, man, I'm running at 10%. Hey, I got this extra 90%. No problem. I can take it. Yeah. And then she said something really, really beautiful that when they both are in those spaces where he might be at 20 and she might be at 30, then they sit down and have a conversation about their needs and what they actually need in that moment. So then there is no resentment built, that there is yeah. no nothing, yeah. no kind of conflict that's bore from it, that they just have a lot of grace and compassion and understand that like, man, I'm he's sitting at a 20, I'm sitting at a 30. Yeah still have all these things to do, but let, let's just lay out the list in priority and, yeah. and be able to do this with some grace and compassion for each other. So yeah, that's what I would say um, is an example of. So, so then my question is, you're talking about how the example I shared about the guy with the golf, like you're talking about how it's like happy wife, happy life. So is the point here that he's telling his buddies he's annoyed with his wife, but he's going home and not telling her that he's annoyed. Is that what you're that saying the, is happening? That's part of it. And that's part okay. of the covert contract too, is like, he's not right. expressing his needs. Right. Right. That, How did hey, it get um, to that point? How did it get to that point? It started that way. Right. You know, um, those things weren't expressed from the beginning. I mean, the honeymoon phase is great because yeah everything you know like oh great yeah well, i love you so go do it and then slowly but surely i mean how many people have you heard get divorced over the fact that somebody didn't put away their toothbrush right absolutely not the toothbrush not at all <laughs> do with the toothbrush it's never the toothbrush or the trash or all the stuff people argue about gotcha okay that's interesting that, um so go ahead well and i can you ask that question again so he's going home and I think sometimes I would say that he doesn't actually want to go golfing with his friends. <laughs> that he would prefer to go home and spend some time with his wife and his family. 
but he doesn't want to also get all of the flack from his buddies either that like oh well of course you go you know like all of the razzing and the right shit that we give each other as men in some cases you know so I think in some ways that can happen also that it's not necessarily resentment towards his wife that sometimes he doesn't want to then express something to be vulnerable in front of his friends and be like but if he's doing that with his friends it's almost a guarantee that he's doing that with his wife also you know that makes me think of just like the paradigm it's just like the cultural paradigm of opposition like the battle of the sexes so it's almost like the guys you know standing around talking about how their wives are being annoying is the same as like women standing around talking about how their husbands are lazy it's like it happens on both sides and it's just like it almost feels like like uh what's the word i'm looking for like some sort of uh pledge of allegiance we all like buy into that you just like have these conversations (laughs) Well, and I think I've heard a lot of women also express that they feel that they have to take care of their husbands, like on just a totally different level in today's society, emotionally, physically. Yeah. It's not like the paradigm from the fifties where she's at home cooking and cleaning and taking care of the family and, you know, that whole kind of the way that we look on the past, but it's man, I've got to make sure that all his appointments are taken care of. And I got to make sure that I call the doctor to make sure that he is, you know, that he goes to the doctor and things along those lines that. Is that like, not just like the mom, the mom issues, like playing out like, oh my God. Cause it, there are way less dads, you know, that have been present in families over the last few decades. So I'm not surprised that there's so much mothering going on. And then now, you know, now in relationship, they want you to be mother. Mm. I hear that as a, a, that's a major complaint that I hear from women. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's something that you can corroborate or, or not yeah. through your experiences, but. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely see it. I see it happening all over the place. Um, I definitely see like the female taking on the, 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 the leadership role of the household, um, uh, because, well, she doesn't trust a man to do it and he hasn't ever stepped up up until this point. So what makes her think that he would? And then it bre- it builds this like, but the thing is, is she married him anyway, because she thought that that's all that she like, that's what life is. That's what life is. That's how things are. Like, she doesn't know what a strong, capable, like, you know, head of the household masculine man is, um, that hasn't been popular for a few decades. <laughs> Absolutely. I yeah. Mean, yeah, we can go on. <laughs> so probably a big rant on that, but I have um, a whole I have a huge rant on that too, but that's okay. Next time. <laughs> but I think that also it creates a lack of safety. Yeah. And when we describe the primal, the primal creates that's where safety is created because if it's, right. if the primal is being able to be in yourself and be grounded and be secure as an individual then the partner most of the time in you know heterosexual relationships she's going to feel safe yeah yeah to where he, he's not movable if he's immovable right not in a not in a way the way he doesn't have access to his heart immovable yeah. but he's yeah. not moving in getting pushed around and just this fleeting and just a, you know, a little one mile an hour breeze can knock him over. That doesn't create much safety. Yeah. And through my experience, the number one thing that almost every woman has ever said about relationship is they want to feel safe. Totally. It's the number one thing of every woman I've ever spoken to. Okay. And I'm going to say something that's like slightly controversial. People don't like this, but that's fine. I stand by it. I think that's why people like Andrew Tate are really important for society right now. Like, I don't think he's like, like he's connected to like the deep union that I believe in. And like, he's not this man that's going to like be with one woman. He's like really interested in more of like a polygamous like lifestyle and that's fine. But he is teaching so many young men 
to find their groundedness. That's literally his only message. It's literally just like, find your footing, like figure yourself out, make money, like be on your, like be strong. That's literally all he's telling them. And I just think that it takes someone like that to really rally a lot of people. Um, <laughs> That's my point of view. <laughs> and I respect your point of view. Yeah. And yeah. I, I disagree in many ways. Yeah. Um, I think that Andrew Tate is pretty dangerous personally. Um, just with the the messaging that he puts out like that, that creates this space for, you know, um, young boys and men, young men to go. And then there's just that undertone, you know, man, that's, that's how a lot of this stuff is done is 90% of it is really good messaging. Yeah. 95% of it's really good messaging. And then it's the subvert 5% that creates some exactly issue if that makes sense so in my opinion i feel like he's a great marketer i think he's (laughs) a great you know like he puts himself out there in that way um and that's what i would just say about him in general is that i think that it's a slippery slope um i personally do not think that he has access to his heart i don't think he comes from a space of from his heart i think that's what he's lacking totally but you know what i think it's someone that's coming from their heart for some reason is not like, it's almost like the pendulum has to swing all the way to like start the movement. And then like the heart like starts to come, come through with other men, with different men, with people that have like a, a a more focused and a more heart centered message. Um, It's almost like a gradual thing, uh, which is, so I agree with you a hundred percent, but I do think he's like the catalyst for some of this stuff. Well, he's popular. And I think when <laughs> you have that, so yeah, basically, I mean, what you're kind of describing is like Foucaultian sociology, right? So Foucault was a French sociologist and he really posits that it's the polar opposites that actually it's the ends of the mm. spectrum that move forward, mm. right? So the, for instance, we'll just use the political system as an example. Sure. So the far left and then the far right and they're extreme on the ends and then those ends move forward and then it kind of moves the rest of the middle yeah. yep. forward. Um, yeah. And that, that I think is something that we could all agree on. Totally. Um, totally. Possibly. I don't know if everyone would agree with that, but, um, <laughs> okay. but yes, I think that, yeah. um, I think there are a lot of good people out there though that are coming forth with a message that's from the heart also. I think that the work that, yeah. like I said, Trevor Bum does, yes. um, the work that Connor Beaton does, yes. Mark Groves. Um, Love it. Love uh, all those men. Wonderful. Jeremy, you know, Jeremy Goldberg, like all of these guys are truly coming from a space of being very well grounded. Um, you know, Sylvester McNutt. Yes. Like, Brandon Collins, like there's, there's so many of them. Um, Stefano, Stefanos, like all of these men that are truly grounded, have access to their primal, have access to the divine can think, you know, they have equal access to their head, their heart and their balls, like Traver likes to say, you know, and that's just something that I, those are, those are the messages that I truly think need to be out there more. Yeah, Um, I agree. And it's, one of those things it's like i mean why do we always vote for these people that are kind of on the polar opposites totally because like how many times have you come to the come to an end of an election in the last 10 20 years and been like this these are the people we get to choose from (laughs) i know i know is this possible but i think that's part of the system part of the system and part of the paradigm that we live in today is um, and unfortunately it's the dehumanization, it's the dehumanization of other. Yeah. But, you know, for instance, what we just did, I don't look at you any differently because of your opinion, Anya. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, you and I can have a discussion and we can have a debate and we can totally. truly, you know, have a wonderful conversation. And I'm still going to walk away from this conversation, seeing you in the same view that I've always seen you. And totally. I think that you would say the same. And that's where that's where we need to get more to as a society Mm -hmm. Um, that I see that in relationship. We dehumanize women. We dehumanize men. Yeah. We, you know, it's, it's us versus them. 
you know, yeah. like tribalism is crazy right now. I mean, it's, it's infiltrating everything. There's just yeah. these ridiculous arguments that like, what happened to the ability to yeah. hold a conversation, a debate. And then also right. one of the greatest signs of intelligence to me is paradox. Yeah. Can you actually have, can you hold a paradox? Can you understand that there can be two things that are completely on opposite ends of the spectrum yeah. and they both be true at the same time. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Gosh, I just love how beautifully you express that. And that made me feel so seen and just like understood because sometimes it's so hard to like, you know, you have an inkling, you have an idea about something, you, you believe something and, but you believe it. And you also think that the opposite is true as well in the same in the same sentence. So it's like, yes, I think there are aspects of Tate that are great and there are aspects of Tate that are not so great. And that's okay. And it's like, wow, cool. Like Winston Churchill like was probably one of the greatest leaders of our time and an alcoholic. Cool. Like we can we can say that and it's okay. Man. <laughs> There's not a time in history where like someone that was great didn't have something else about them. Totally. Totally. Gosh, I, mean, I love that. Ugh. There's there's so many aspects to that that I think are so true that we all have other aspects to us. We all have things that lie beneath the surface. We all have these ideas. And I think that, you know, part of all of this, and that kind of leads into this conversation too, is just um, you know, I don't, I put a post up not too long ago that victimization is the main aspect for violence. Oh yeah. I could see that. I really do see that. That it is mm. the biggest catalyst for violence. Mm. Now that doesn't mean that there's not victims. There absolutely are victims. Right. And it's what you do with it after. I mean, I'm an example of it. And, you know, I got hit by a drunk driver and I mm. played that victim card for a very long time. Mm. And it so, you know, like it sowed a lot of resentment. It sowed a lot of aggression, violence. Yeah. All of it. Man, I can, I can feel you so deeply because like, I also played the like, oh yeah, I have like father wound. I have father wounds. So like, that's why I'm the way I am thing for such a long time. And then I did the Traver Bohm, like name your year. And this is my year of new stories. And I can tell you right now that I have had a completely new story all year around that. And then what happened? My actual relationship with the person in question changed completely. So like <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Um, the language we use shapes our experience. I love that. You've said that to me before. And I, I just, I love, I love that. I always remember those words that you've said to me. You know, so it's, it is, it's totally true. So the language we use shapes our experience. I am a victim. I am. Right. Victim. Right. Versus I have been victimized. Sure. And now it's mine to own. And now it's mine to work through. And, you know, um, Dewey Freeman my mentor, he said the the moment you be you end become you know being a victim is the moment that you begin to heal. Yeah, that's great. And you were wounded in relationship, and you will heal through relationship. Absolutely. Like uh, this, just to kind of wrap this one up. This reminds me of you know when people say, "I always attract." X. I always attract Y. It's like, no, I've had experiences with X and Y in the past, but I'm, I'm not available for that anymore, you know? And I think that is such a powerful shift because I think men and women, we just, we want to be together. <laughs> we do deeply. So that's why we're here. Humans, period. <laughs> yeah. Humans want to be, they want to belong. One of our greatest desires on this whole entire planet yeah. is to belong because it's innately in us. Yeah. From prehistoric, like we've lived hunter gatherer lifestyles a hell of a lot longer than we've lived what we are currently living. Totally. In. Totally. Away from family, 
totally isolated, separate, moving across country. Like we stayed in family units for our whole entire lives for literally, I mean, we're pushing it further and further back as far as anatomically modern humans go, like 120,000, 200,000 years in Africa. So, and what that meant for you in the past, if you didn't belong, then you perished. Yes, exactly. Exactly. If you were removed from the group, then you died. (laughs) Yet in our society, we always are talking about how we need to do it on our own. Yeah. Just think about how that just totally contradicts everything that we actually want to be inside. Yep. Very well said. Um, And I think like just to push it just one place further because of, you know, Venus and Mars and, and why we're here. And this kind of conversation has been almost like another step in the direction of more harmony, more connection, more understanding. There is this deep desire, yes, for us to be connected as humans, but there's a deep desire to find the complementary energy, um, there is, it's, it's, it's really real. I feel it. I think, I think everybody feels it. Um, and it, it's, it's really there, this like deep desire for polarization, this like desire of sitting at the restaurant and like just wishing a, a strong man would walk in the door. Right. Or a man that's like coming back from being away from people for a little while. And then just like wishing for like this radiant woman to like walk up in front of him. I think this is like so real and innate to our biology. And this is what I want to explore in, in my life. It's just so important to me. Yeah. I think it's, it's, um, it's what makes us who we are as human beings, yeah. you know, and that's that desire to truly be in contact and in connection with others. Yeah. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what background you have. It doesn't, we as humans want to belong and we want to find a way to be in contact and to be in connection, to have relationship, you know, to be in that space. I'm going to ask you one final question, Rob. I love this conversation. I just like, love your thoughts. And I just, I love your groundedness. Um, Every time I ask men what their favorite thing about a woman is, it's always um, radiance. Like it's not really like, attractiveness or beauty like that's there for sure or like intellect intelligence that's there but there's something about radiance that seems to speak to men can you agree with that is that true for you a woman who's truly connected inside of herself that truly understands who she is in the world is absolutely radiant in my opinion it because that energy it's it's pure Mm it doesn't feel so chaotic anymore. Does that make sense? What a great way to say that for you. Radiance is a woman that is like deeply in tune with herself and uh, the world and is like living from that place. Absolutely. Cause we need that as a society. Also, <laughs> we may yeah. have, dude, look, we may have a ton of work to do. We've done a ton of wounding. We've, you know what I mean? We've perpetrated yeah. all kinds of things. Absolutely. That's not to deny and earlier when we talked about men having these issues, it's not to create a victimization for men. Yeah. Because that just breeds more violence. Yeah. Which I think that's, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go there, but <laughs> <laughs> going back into our Tate kind of conversation, if yeah. you just place sure. that there, I think that's part of why it's dangerous. But I also think that there's a call for women to also do their work. Yeah. I love it. I agree. Because I think that, you know, for a long time, I've heard women say, men, you need to do, you Mm-mm. need to do, you need to do, you need to do. But then like, well, what are, what are you guys doing? <laughs> oh, I agree. I think it's a hundred percent like neck and neck, like parallel paths together. I feel like the greatest value I've gotten in my life thus far is from women's groups. So I love that. I would say the greatest value I've gotten in my life is men's groups. Oh, and they're independent and they're in community, and that's how we actually come together in relationship. And then I've also learned a a ton in mixed groups too, to feel the energy of a woman, to feel what that 
expression is like it's one of the most beautiful things that you know I've experienced myself you know yeah. so um I think that that's just also you know really important that it's not it's a call forward it's not a bash just totally. like it every you know and I think that there's that's the big difference is when we start to point fingers and say you need to and you need to that's when we victimize each other <laughs> yeah whereas instead like hey I love you but can you can you just move forward a little bit and we do that yeah. with each other within our own cohorts and then we do that with each other I think that's where beautiful things can happen so men doing it in community women doing it in community and then men and women doing it in relationship and obviously that's being said in heteronormative terms yep um and that doesn't take away from anybody else that's in relationship or doing the work either beautifully said and on that note that's a wrap for today. I've loved this conversation. Um, I feel like we went in so many different places and I hope you all have enjoyed uh, another episode of Venus and Mars. Until next time. Thank you again, Anya. Appreciate you.